Wow, that's uh, man, that's just being the church, right? The hands and feet of Jesus, and I, I, I'll just you know you, you listen to that and it moves you. And so, uh, hey, I just want to thank you because uh, y- y'all y'all pray. Some of you can go, and uh, so many of you give, so that when things like this happen, you know we're just ready uh, to, as we say, to break the huddle and uh, go show the love of Jesus. So thank you. And uh, hey, I'm glad that you're here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on our team. Wherever you're at, one of our six locations, if you're watching digitally, we'll give a shout out to Perdido, Alabama, shout out to Ecuador, shout out to New Jersey. Thank you all for uh, tuning in. Thank you for being a part of uh, what God is doing. And we're, we're going to wrap up a series today called Back to the Basics. And you know, we've just sort of said, hey, in everything in life, whether it's marriages or walking with God or football or basketball, or finances, there's just some fundamental core 101 things that just have to be in place in order to build the whole thing, right? And so that's kind of what we've been doing. Now, before we talk about this final back to the basics principle, I just want to remind us of uh, our, our, our what's coming up on First Wednesday. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, First Wednesday is one of my favorite services, I'm a little bit biased. We get together, we worship, we pray, we take the Lord's Supper, we pray for each other uh, in that service. So I just want to remind you at all of our campuses or online that that's available at uh, 6.30 p.m. Now, as we get into Back to the Basics Part 4, I, I want to ask a basic question about you and, and, and me and those of you watching online. If you had to say, hey, what's the main thing? Uh, about you, what what defines you or what drives you, uh, what are you passionate about? When when you, when you have free time, free space in your mind, where does your brain drift? Where do you go? Where do your thoughts go? What do you what do you fixate on? Uh, what what's what's this? Who who are you? And and that's just you know sort of like a fundamental question. And and, and I, I'll say this: some of you might say, well, kind of it depends because you know in our culture it sort of shifts, right? We got to focus on this and worry about this. You got to look like this. You got to do this, do that. And so, so you you might be a little bit, you know, all over the map on on that question. But is this not a fundamental basic question that we need to be able to answer about ourselves? And and I would think, you know, if there's a God, and of course we're here in church, I believe, we believe there's a God. Some of you may be asking that question. I think God ought to help us with this. And, And he does. And he does. And so if we were to say, hey, God, what do you think should be most important for, for us? Well, what would God say? And, and then do, we, do, do I agree? Does God and I align? And that's the basic principle and the fundamental question we're going to try to answer. And, and fortunately, because the Bible is such an amazing book, we get this answer in a, in a real awesome passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn your Bibles on if you want uh, to open them up if you like or watch with me if you prefer. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what Paul says. Paul's writing to an actual historical church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, now I want to make clear for you. So he wants something to be crystal clear. Uh, what What's most important? He goes, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, which literally means good news, right? And so if you're here at a live physical campus, I just want you to say the word gospel, one, two, three, gospel, all right? So gospel means good news. You can type that into the chat room or into the comment section if you're watching online. Gospel means good news. So I want to make clear for you what the good news is. The gospel is that I preach to you which you received, which you absorbed, which you took in. And he goes a step further. He goes, not only did you receive it, but you've like taken your 
stand upon it. It is your foundation. It is <coughs> fundamental. It is the basic part that you base your life and your future on, this gospel, this good news, and by which you are being saved. So something's off if we need to be saved, right? We can all admit that. If your house is on fire and the fireman has to come in and save you, if you're drowning and a lifeguard has to come in and save you, something's gone wrong. But this gospel, this good news, because if you get saved from something, it's got to be good news. This gospel is what is saving you. If you hold to the message that I preach to you. So Paul's a little bit concerned, right? He's a little bit concerned that they're not clear or it gets fuzzy or foggy. Just like when I asked you, hey, what's the most important thing about you? What defines you? What drives you? For some of us, you know, when we're teenagers, it's one thing. College students, it's one thing. When we get a job and we have kids, when we go become empty nesters, it sort of changes, right? No, no, no. Paul says, no, I want you to be clear on what's the most important thing. So Paul wants this to be clear and he's worried that they'll sort of move away from it. He's worried that they won't stand upon this gospel. And he even says, because you could have believed in vain. You could have believed in, in a sense of futility or a sense of frustration. Now, there, there's something about what Paul says, and he hasn't even told us what the gospel is yet, so just hold on for that. There's something about what he says that strikes me as counterintuitive and very countercultural. Because I think a lot of us, if we talk about our lives, talk about 2020, we would say, you know what, we just need something new. We need like a new experience, we need a new set of circumstances, and we need a new year. And now what Paul says, no, 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 he says, I want you to be clear, and I want you to hold on to this, and I want you to take your stand upon it. So Paul would say this, I, we really don't need a new truth, we don't need a new experience, we don't need a new circumstance, and we really don't need a new year. Now some of you are like, oh, I don't know about that, 2020 has been pretty crazy, right? But Paul's like, no, 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 I, I want you to understand some good news that has happened in the past that you have received, that you have believed, that you have taken your stand upon, that you are being saved by if you hold on to this, so I can't let you, I don't want you to let it go. So Paul would say this. He would say one of the most fundamental needs that we have as human beings is to hear and hold on to the truth of the gospel, this good news, this word that we said just a few moments ago. We need to hear it again and again, and we need to hold on to it. We cannot let it go. And, and Paul would say, look, look, I know if Paul were up here talking, he might say, hey, look, I know 2020 was right? Cray cray, right? He might say that. And he said, I know everybody's looking forward to New Year's Eve and New Year's. But he said, listen, if you're not standing on the gospel, if you're not holding on to the gospel, then it, in 2021, it, it's going to be rough. If you know, you're, you might be saying, oh, I, I need a new marriage. I need a new set of finances. I need a new job. I need a new girlfriend. Paul would say, well, wait, 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 wait. If you're not holding on to, if you have not taken your stand upon, if you're not resting upon, building your life upon, basing the most important thing about you on, um, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you can change all the pieces on the, on the board. You're still playing the game, and, and, it's, and it's a losing hand. So, okay, Paul, tracking. What's the gospel? Good news, okay. We could use a little bit of that. What's the gospel? And in verse 3, he begins to unpack it. But notice what he says. He says, I passed on to you through his preaching as most important what I also received. Now, now he's not saying, 
getting past 2020, getting into a new year is not important. He's not saying, hey, getting a better, you know, getting your marriage healthy, your finances healthy, getting through college, passing your classes, you know, striking the guy out, having a good, having a good game. He's not saying that, that stuff's not important. Raising a great family, he's not saying that's not important. He's just saying this gospel is most important. Some of your translations might actually put the word first importance. So he's just saying the gospel is over here in a class by itself and everything else about your life, everything else, your parenting, your marrying, your dating, your money management, your identity, your happiness quest, how you handle suffering, how you handle adversity, how you handle 2020, how you handle sickness, everything else should flow and be based upon this gospel. He's just saying it's that that important. In fact, he would say you never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is not something you hear once when you're eight years old at vacation Bible school and move on. The gospel is not something you, that sort of gets mixed in with Christmas and Easter. And like, oh, check, check, check. Good. I'm good for the next year. He's like, no, 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 no. It is something you have to stand upon and you have to hold on to. Okay. Okay, Paul. It's that important to you. Would you tell us what it is? And he's like, okay, I'll tell you what it is, but I want you to see even more how important this is. In, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter comes out and he says, look, people have spoke of things that have been told to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. People like Paul, who was sent from heaven. And he says, look, this is what I want you to see. Even angels long to look into these things. So the angels are longing to look deep and wide and clearly at this gospel. It's that important. Okay. So everybody knows. Now, what is it? Here's what Paul says. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of God, died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the word of God, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, which is Peter, and then to the 12 apostles. And then he also appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some of them have fallen asleep. It's as if he's saying, hey, look, I know some of you are like, you don't believe a dead man came back to life. He goes, listen, listen, listen. You can go find some of these 500 that he appeared to and just ask them because this actually, factually, really historically happened. So Christ died and was buried, he was raised, and then he appeared. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then Paul says, and last of all, he also appeared to me, the one who persecuted the church and now is seeking to build the church. You know, for some of you who are like, I just don't know if Christianity is true. I don't know if Christianity is for me. Here's what I would say. How do you explain Paul? How do you explain an absolute terrorist, absolute terrorist? who in one day changed and went from trying to kill and imprison Christians to being a Christian to writing half of the Christian New Testament. And so Paul says all of that together, all of that together, Christ buried, Christ, Christ died, Christ buried, Christ raised, Christ appearing, all of that is the gospel or the good news. So, so I want us to make about three observations about what he said, and then we'll kind of summarize a little bit. But he, he, the gospel is three, three observations about these facts that we just read. First of all, the gospel is an achievement and an accomplishment of God, Jesus being the son of God. So God has done something. God has accomplished something. God has obviously had a plan in place to bring this person, this God-man Jesus to earth where he 
he would live, where he would die, where he would be buried, where he would be raised, and where he would appear and be validated and verified as the Son of God. All of that for uh, forgiveness of so people could be forgiven for their sins. So God has done something. So this good news, listen, this good news is not good news about you and I. You know, your wife gets home or you get home and your kids get home. Hey, tell me some good news. What happened today? And, and normally the good news takes the form of, hey, I got an A on the test. I did well at practice. Hey, honey, I closed the deal. Hey, I, I finally got the laundry done. I fixed that and I fixed this in the utility room, whatever. And, and it's our accomplishment. It's our achievement. No, no, no. This is an achievement and an accomplishment of God. This is about God. Now, it's for us, but it's done by God. Second thing. What Paul lists are a series of objective, when I say objective, I mean, it's not, hey, I think it should be this color and you think it should be that color. That's subjective. Objective facts or truths. Notice he says, look, this is actual history. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he was, uh, <coughs> he was raised and he appeared to over 500 people and he appeared to the 12 and he even appeared to a guy like me who was persecuting the church. So these are objective facts. See, a lot of people in our culture, maybe you're one of these people, it's, it's religion is just my beliefs and you've got your beliefs. And it's all subjective and it's all preferential and it's all based on maybe tradition or that's how you was raised. I was raised this way. That's what you believe. I was, you know, I don't believe that. You know, you do you, I'll do me. And Paul said, no, 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 no. I, I, we're not, Christianity's not based on how you feel. Christianity's not based on what you think. Uh, Christianity's not what, what, based on what you believe. Christianity is on, based on something that actually, factually, historically happened. See, some of you are asking questions like this. Who am I? Some of you are asking questions like this, uh, you know, does God really love me? And the answer to those questions, for most of us, we turn inside and we turn inward and we base it on a feeling, we base it on a hunch, we base it on a perception, we base it on subjective things. And Paul's like, no, 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 you're not going to take your stand on the shifting sands of human emotions, human feelings, and the flawed perspective that human beings have. Let's take your stand on fact, on truth, on history. So the spiritual claims, listen, the spiritual claims of Christianity are backed up by historical facts and events. So important, right? Now, and we understand this as Americans because, you know, if someone said to an American, hey, how can you gather and have freedom of religion? And how do you have freedom of press? And how, hey, where do you get all these, where do you get these rights, these freedoms from? And you know what we would say? We would just point back to history and we would talk about 1776 and the, and the Declaration of Independence. We would talk about the surrender of the British and our independence. We would talk about our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. And, and we would talk about news that's good news for Americans that happened way back when, right? And, and, and we're not talking about, well, I just feel like I'm free. No, no, no. I'm really free because I was really born in a country that really fought and was really founded on these things and on these values, right? So it's the same kind of concept for Paul. It's not what you feel that is real. It's what something happened and the implications of that historical event. And then the final thing is these, this achievement and these truths and their implications can be applied to a type of person. And the type of person that Paul says in the text is someone who has sinned. Not a popular word, but someone who has sinned. So a sinner 
can have this good news and the effects of the good news applied to their life and their future and their destiny and their purpose and their identity. So when we talk about sin, we're we're talking about a couple of things. We're talking about moral failure. We're talking about uh, violating a code or an ethic that, that God is creator and God is Lord and God is king has established over his creation and we're his creatures and, and we're supposed to be under his authority. And when we rebel against that authority, whether it's with our biology, our sexuality, our use of money, our pride, our ego, our anger, whatever, uh, you know, then, then, then God says you know, that you've violated the, the, the covenant you've sinned. Some people are like, well, you know, I, that, that's all subjective, Matt. You know, and there's nothing really wrong with that kind of stuff. And so then I would say to you, well, you, you are probably, you, you and me both, but we're all guilty of idolatry. And idolatry is where you prefer something over God and you look for meaning and purpose and significance and identity from that, which is why most people are stressed out because whatever you're getting your identity, your meaning, your purpose from, when it becomes vulnerable or susceptible, then we wig out and we freak out and we get fearful. And so we're trying to fill a God-shaped void with something that's not God. It's temporary, trivial, and trite, right? And, and, and so we prefer other things that, to God. And when we take good things and make them ultimate things, which then become ruling things, which then become enslaving things. And you, you would say, you know, you might not say, hey, I've, you've never done anything. You might say, I've never done anything wrong. And I'd say, okay, let's have this conversation. Have you ever taken a good thing and made it an ultimate thing and it became a ruling thing? And you'd say, you might, some of you might say, yeah, I did that with my job. Yeah, I've done that with money. Yeah, I've done that with drugs, or I've done that with the opposite sex. I've done that with my career. I've done that with what people thought about me. Matt, I am a slave to people's opinions, and I just have to, I crave the approval. Okay, that's called idolatry, because you're putting something else in the place of God. But what, I, what that means, though, is that qualifies every single one of you listening for the good news of the gospel. There's nobody listening to me that I would say, this is not good news for you. You know, the, the whole American thing I was talking about, the Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, who's that good? Is that good news for the French? No, no, it's good news for Americans. But this is good news for everybody because everybody has sinned and or everybody has made a good thing into an ultimate thing, which became a ruling thing, which became an enslaving thing. So let me define the gospel for us. The gospel is that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, which Paul has recounted, God has fully accomplishes, fully accomplishes salvation for us. God fully, God does it, rescuing us from judgment from sin. Remember, uh, we needed to be saved from. What do we need to be saved from? Sin. Into fellowship with him, and then he restores his creation in which we now can enjoy our new life to, with him together forever, that God's actually going to restore creation which has been broken. Another way I would define this in, in, in a little more shorter, succinct way is it's called reconciliation by substitution, that we become reconciled to God by Jesus's substitution or Jesus in my place. Jesus died for me and instead of me so I could be with him forever. That's gospel. Jesus in my place. Jesus died, buried raised, appeared, Jesus in my place, for me and instead of me, so God could again be with me. 
That is fundamental gospel. So here's, here's the question we want to ask. Okay. All right. So we've got the facts, the truth, the reality of the gospel. Why is it of first importance? Why is it, Matt, why is that the most important thing about me? Because, Matt, I walked in here today, and the most important thing about me is what happened to me today. Or the most important thing is what, what I'm facing in my life in this season, and please speak to that. Why does Paul say, no, no, what's most important is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That's what I want you to hold on to. That's what I want you to take your stand. So why is that most important? So here's some reasons, okay? Without the gospel... People are lost, hopeless, and helpless. People need to be saved. Now, just because something is lost doesn't mean it's not valuable. You, you look for things, you lose your keys, you look for your keys, you lose your cell phone, the world stops, right? And you look for it. So we're lost. And God sent his son to look for us. God sent his son to help us. We were helpless. God sent his son to give us hope that we could not give ourselves. But the dangers here, the dangers are obvious. Danger number one is you and I love to be self-reliant. We love to do it ourselves. In, in fact, if you ask most people, hey, how do you know you are going to be, you know, be okay in eternity? How will you know after you die something bad's not, you know, whatever? And, and, and most people will say, well, hey, I do good things. I'm a good person, or at least I'm not as bad as most people I know. And, and the challenge of that is uh, the gospel is God's achievement, and God did everything, so why do you and I think we can or need to do something? That's us kind of putting ourselves above the finished work of Jesus, number one. And then number two, here's the question I always ask people who say, hey, I'm a good person. That counts, right? I say, how good is good enough? Because in every holy book I've ever researched or looked into, including the Bible, it never says how good is good enough. Now, if you had a teacher like that in high school or in college, that'd be a problem for you, wouldn't it? So is God just like, is there some mysterious thing? And, and then you're like, well, man, I didn't get started trying to be good till I was 65. Maybe I don't have enough time to do enough good. Maybe God grades on the curve and woo, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, I've blown that curve out of the water. How good is good enough? I ask you. There's a danger in being self-reliant because God has already done everything necessary for your salvation and my salvation. Now, the second danger is this, the justice of God. If you ask me what's the number one problem that people face, it's that. It's not COVID. It's not who's going to win the White House. It's not a problem. It's not the economy. Uh, it's not terrorism. The number one problem is the justice of God because we have this holy God who's perfect, who, who has, uh, who's been eternally good, eternally holy, and eternally perfect, and he has complete and perfect integrity. So he never cuts corners, he never sweeps things under the rug, and he's, and he's going to demand justice because, over sinners or idolaters, whichever way you want to see yourself, right? Uh, both a sinner and an idolater are one and the same in God's economy, and we've all rejected God, and so we have the justice of God. And God cannot just say, oh, it's okay, you've been good enough. That would be a violation of his character. That would be a violation of his integrity. And you and I can violate character and integrity just like that, right? God can't do it because he's always the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So the justice of God will find all of us guilty, will find all of us worthy of going to hell. 
So the good news is though, Jesus in my place. Jesus instead of me. Jesus for me. Died, buried, raised, appeared. And if we hold to that, we are being saved and we will be with him forever. That's called gospel or good news. So I would sum that up by saying this. We cannot do good enough. We cannot handle the justice of God. But God has done enough in Christ. And in Christ, the justice of God has been check satisfied. So without the gospel, we're helpless, lost, and hopeless. Number two, why is the gospel so important? Without the gospel, there's no power in Christianity. There's no power in Christianity. <clears throat> in fact, in the New Testament, when, the, when they refer to the power of God, they either talk about the resurrection or they talk about the gospel. How is news powerful? How is news power? Have you ever asked yourself that? I mean, how, how is some, think about it this way. If you're in a POW camp, right? And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and you're enslaved and you're surrendered and tortured all against your will. And, and suddenly there, there, there's a plane that flies over and drops something and it, you know, and it lands in the camp. It's like a message. And it said, invasion successful. Freedom is coming. That's power, right? That's power. If you had cancer and you got news that, hey, a cure has been found for your type of cancer. That's power, right? That's power. And so the power of the gospel is this power to deal with our problem, the power <coughs> to deal with our sin situation, but also the power of the gospel comes in this. As I see Christ in my place, as I see Jesus instead of me and Jesus for me, as I see Christ crucified and buried and raised and appeared, and he did all of that to satisfy the justice of God, Jesus in my place, Jesus instead of me, I'm overwhelmed with the love of God. And as I look at the gospel and go deep into the gospel and take my stand upon the gospel, I'm standing on his absolute, unconditional, unequivocal, historical, actual, factual love of God. So I don't have to sit out here and say, hey, I'm not feeling the love of God. I look at the cross and I see and I know the love of God. And that gives me power to then change my heart where I want to follow Jesus. I want to be with Christ. I want to obey Christ. So I've heard it said this way, the, fi the fire to do the right thing or to, do, uh, or to obey Jesus in the Christian life comes only from being soaked in the fuel of what has been done. So, so God's not out there saying, I'm going to get you if you don't. God's not, not, not saying, hey, you better stop sleeping with her. He's not, you better stop, you know, doing what you're doing with your money. He just shows you his son and said, I did this for you. And when you see that, you want to start living for him and with him forever. I mean, think, think about this. Think about why Christians get baptized. Okay, so important in our faith, but it, without Jesus, it makes no sense, right? Hey, I'm going to have a grown person hold me underwater. I mean, my brother and I got in fights in the pool growing up because my brother tried to hold me underwater for a long period of time. So, so it makes no sense 
unless you put Jesus in it and, and, and you say, hey, Jesus died for you. Jesus died instead of you. Jesus in your place. And Jesus said, hey, anybody that's going to identify with him, the first act of obedience is to get baptized. And it illustrates what he did. He died for our sins. We're washed clean of our sins. We rise up out of the water and we're new. We have new affections, new love for Jesus. And we're obeying him and declaring to the world we're following him. That's why people get baptized. Without Jesus, it makes no sense. See, some people look at Christians like, I don't understand why you do that kind of stuff with your money. I don't understand why you give up your Sunday mornings. That's a great time to be on the golf course or a great time to sleep late. Why do you do those kind of things? Because of Jesus and what he did for me, right? That's the power of the gospel. Number three, <coughs> excuse me, without the gospel, there's no true assurance or ultimate hope. No true assurance or ultimate hope. We live in a world that, that's, uh, that's just on shaky, unsolid ground. I mean, there's so much uncertainty in the world. And if you talk about hope in the world, everybody's hope in the world is hope so hope. Hey, I hope so. I hope it works out. I hope we get it done by then. I hope, I hope, I hope. It's not no so hope. And, and, and even people, like when you say, hey, are you, are you safe for eternity? Are you, oh, are you right with God? I, I don't know. How do you really know? I'm hoping that I am. Well, the gospel builds it all on an objective evidence of what Jesus has done. The gospel builds it all on the assurances of the one who came back from the dead. That's a pretty good bet. If I'm betting, man, I'm going to bet on the guy who came back from the dead. And so without the gospel, there's no assurance or no ultimate hope. And what happens is this. Most people in the world, they worship a God of more and maybe. Do more and maybe it'll work out. And, 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 and here's the questions that are left unanswered. Am I really accepted by God forever? How good is good enough? Is the best really yet to come? Well, just keep doing more and maybe it'll work out. Versus the gospel is the God of done and with. God's done everything necessary for us to be with him forever. And all he asks is, will you accept trust and stand on what God has done so you can be with him forever? That's what he asks. Without the gospel, number four, <coughs> without the gospel, contentment and gratitude will be elusive and temptation will be persuasive. All of us understand, right, the world runs on creating discontentment and discord. And, and even Christians get sucked into it. It's why you can never graduate from the gospel. And, and the world runs on complaint, right, and I'm owed or cynicism. And then the temptation is to always look for something in addition to what God has done or what God has provided or to seek pleasure in, in something outside of God. So without the gospel, contentment and gratitude will be elusive and temptation will be persuasive. And so the gospel just pushes us deep into the understanding, in Christ I have better than I deserve. In Christ I have a God who will satisfy me forever. And in Christ, in Christ, I have what I need to be happy forever. And so here, here's how this works, okay? Here's how this works. I, when you truly just stare and think and ponder the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done, Jesus in my place, it just keeps overwhelming your heart. It moves you to greater obedience, moves you to be more like Jesus, moves you to be a person of worship, moves you to be content and grateful and to be able to say no to sin. And here's how it, here's how it works. I want you to imagine you're in a car, your car. And you, and you think you're by yourself, and you leave the restaurant, and you're driving home. It's dark at night, and your car's got something going on, and you know it's, you know, man, I hope I can make it home, and then call the mechanic in the morning. And, but, it, but, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of, it's broken. It's just problematic. 
And you cross this old railroad track, and as soon as you get across, you know, your car straddling the railroad track, it just completely breaks down, completely breaks down, and you're sort of stuck, and the train is coming right there in that moment. And, you, you know, your door jo- and you're trying to get out of the door, and you're stuck. You can't get out. You need to be what? Saved, right? And, and, and you don't know what to do, and you're scrambling. You're down to like a couple of seconds, you know, here <coughs> in your life. And all of a sudden, there's a gentle bump on the back bumper, and you look behind you, and there's this old, old fella in his pickup truck, and he's yelling, just put it in neutral. And he just sort of pushes you across the track, and right as he gets in the middle of the track, the train hits him and kills him. Now, you get out of your car, and you're like, Wow. I can't believe what that guy did for me. I mean, he died instead of me. And, and, and you, your combination of, of scared and grateful, and you're, you're certainly not wondering how many followers you got on Facebook in that moment. I mean, you're just in awe, and, and you're like scared and fearful and thankful, and man, what kind of person would do that for me? And as you're sort of surveying the scene and you finally call 911, you hear something in the trunk of your car. You hear a little sound. And you're like, what is that? And you go and you open in the trunk, and there's your child in the trunk. And you're like, why, why are you here? And, and he's crying, and, and, you're, and he's like, hey, Mom, hey, Dad. I, I, we were playing hide-and-seek in the garage, and I, and I snuck in your car. And, and what happened? And, and now what's your, your gratitude, your contentment, your awe of what the guy in the truck did has just increased, right? And, and then a couple of days later, the police come, you know, insurance. And, and then you find out this, you find out this, that the guy in the truck, he had heard your car as you were driving past him. And, and he heard, and he, he, he's like, something's wrong with that. I'm going to follow him and make sure they make it home. So he was like pursuing you to make sure you would be okay. That's what it's like. The closer you get to Christ and the tighter you hold to the gospel, you'll never get tired and you'll never get to the end of, I can't believe what Jesus did for me. Yeah, I'm going to say no to all those temptations that put him on the cross. And there will never be a day in my life when I have not received better than I deserved. There will never be a day in my life when I cannot look up and say, God, thank you for what you have done for me, Jesus, in my place. When the songs start playing at church, there will never be a time when you're like, no big deal, because can you believe what Jesus did for me? And then finally, without the gospel, our identity and happiness quest continues. See, you'll never meet someone who has never asked the question, who am I and how can I be satisfied? You'll just never meet that person. And the question I ask, is that a settled question for you or is it still a search? See, in the gospel, it's settled, right? You're God's. You're safe, secure, and you'll be happy forever and forever lasts a lot longer than a Friday night and a cheap date and a Christmas bonus but without the gospel you'll always be who am I and how can I be happy in a way that this old world can't take away 
See, all of us here have three identities. And a fourth one, we have an invitation to receive. Here's the identities. Creature, sinner, sufferer, and child of God. Everybody is creature, sinner, sufferer. Those who take their stand on the gospel are child of God. What, What does that mean? Creature means this. You and I were created. It means God has always existed. And God put us here in his creation. So we have to exist within the boundaries of his will. A fish can never say, man, I want to live on the land. They were created to be in the water. You and I can never say, man, I just want to live apart from God. Because we'll always be seeking and searching. But, but everybody's a creature. And everybody's meant to submit to their creator. But everybody's also a sinner. We're flawed. We're distorted. And the sin in us causes us to go stupid. It causes us to mis- be misdirected. It causes us to go down bad paths. It causes us to do things that make us go, oops, wow, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I let that happen. Sinners choose other things besides God that become ultimate things, that become ruling things, that become enslaving things. The fact that we're a sinner means our greatest problem is not out there. Our greatest problem is in here. And then sufferer. Everybody here is a sufferer. The world is broken. The world is not as God, as creator and originally designed it. And so everyone in here will hurt. Everyone in here will bleed. We will face things like disease and racism and, and oppression and injustice. We were, all of us have been sinned against. All of us have been hurt. All of us have pain and we're sufferers. And if you don't have this fourth identity, you just sort of go back and forth here, right? Trying to find out how to be happy. How does the world get, how do we make things right? And you just sort of oscillate. And, and, and some people, you know, if they got the most money, then maybe they're okay until that money runs out or they find it doesn't buy the happiness the heart was designed to have. But you can be a child of God. That's the fruit of or result of the gospel where you take your stand on what Christ has done for you and you are welcomed into his family now, today, tomorrow, and forever. And you're welcomed into his kingdom. And he calls you son or daughter. And it's not because you deserve it or I deserve it because what? We're sinner. And, and it's not because, you know, we earned up some points and, 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 and got enough church attendance. It's because he did it. He accomplished it because he loves you so much. He was willing to get on that train track instead of you. He was willing to get on that cross for you. And he stayed there instead of you in hopes that you and I would look to him, let his love hit our heart, receive that, build our life on it and live from it and say, I'm a child of God. That's who I am now, today, and forever. So I just want to give us an invitation, okay? I want to ask you, have you said yes to this gospel and taken your stand on it? There's no better time than right now as the word of God has been shared, the good news has been shared to say, I want what is true in history and what God has accomplished and achieved to be true of me. 
And by faith, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Second invitation is to baptism. As that sign, that symbol, that illustration that you are now following Jesus and you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. And then the third invitation is to worship. Worship the one who satisfied the justice of God. Worship the one who took the nails and the whipping instead of you, for you, so he could be with you forever. Worship the one that you can be, I cannot believe he loves me that much. However the Spirit of God leads you, would you step with the God who died for you? Let's pray together. God, I just ask you to give everybody here clarity. As Paul started this text, he said, I just want to make this clear to you. And God, I pray it's clear in every heart, in every life, in every mind right now. What is clear is what you have done so we can be with you forever. So we can be called sons and daughters. And God, I pray that right now people are saying yes to you, taking their stand on the gospel. I pray right now, God, that people would be willing to go public with that and say, you know what, I'm going to be baptized to show that I am now loving God in Christ back. And I pray, God, that this impacts us as worshipers, that there'll never be a day that we can't marvel and stand in awe of what you have done, that there will never be a day when we would not say, I have better than I deserve, I have reason to be thankful, and what I have in Christ gives me the power to say no to sin and idolatry. God, take us deeper right now into the gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, raised, appeared, and may he reign in our hearts this weekend and forever. In his name we pray, amen.